Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we were being terrorised by the ghost with the most in Beetlejuice which means today we're being terrorised by the ghost that likes to crush the hearts of the living in a dark game of one-upmanship with history's most infamous serial killers, as Peter Jackson puts the Frighteners on us. Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined in a cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. <laughs> and an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <gasps> for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. So which film will be exercised from memory and which will live on through eternity? We'll know by the end of this show, so let's get it on. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Butters. You are violating my territorial bubble. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. All right, Chris's choices this week. Remind us why. Because uh, we want to do Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. And we couldn't figure out what to pair it with for ages. And then you said, let's do the Frighteners, Chris. And I said, OK, Alex. And and here we are. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and it happened. It, yeah. That's how it happens. Yeah, we've, cool. we've pulled back the curtain on the decision-making <laughs> process <laughs> behind these episodes. If Just in case you thought there was some intricacy to it, some magic. No. It's that. Shall we do it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it normally happens in the pub. Yep. I mean, there is a story that we weren't ever sure if this pair perfectly worked, but as was proved with the connection section on Monday, they surely do. Uh, before we get started, it's time for our regular dip into the digital mailbag and a review from Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly. Uh, this review is called Better Than a Night in the Pub, and it's from Skip111, who says, This podcast is full of life, comic moments, spontaneous insights, quirky tiffs, and intelligent dialogue. 
I love that the hosts give each other room to talk and they're both ostentatious and humble at the same time. The podcast also inspires me to go watch movies I might not have otherwise seen, like a type of fun homework before listening to a new show. Highly recommend five stars. Wow. Thanks, Skip. Great review. Beautifully written. Lovely. And it's got my favourite thing uh, about inspiring people to watch movies. Because The Frighteners is a film I think that has been forgotten, flopped at the time, and if we get just one person to go see it, I think that is a good thing. Hmm. I agree, Chris. I agree. So, on Monday, I shaked, shaked, shaked Sonora... Shake it all the time. I forgot the lyrics. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, which means today, Vicky is in high spirits as she takes us through the fright as V takes on a journey. When is a Ghostbuster not a Ghostbuster? When he's a con man working a needlessly elaborate con, Frank Bannister can see dead people. He actually can. So whenever anyone calls him a fraud because they don't believe he's really cleansing their home of spirits, those people are technically wrong. He's not a fraud. He's an idiot. Because if you can genuinely see dead people, then why not just make a quick book like all the other psychics by communicating generic messages of love from the other side to vulnerable relatives? Seriously, that shit is easy. You don't even have to be psychic to do it. You can just lie. Frank would be a fucking billionaire by now if he stopped dicking around faking home invasions and just, you know, used his gifts in the most straightforward way. Anyway, at least the romance arc is simple because Frank's a heartbroken widower and Lucy's a not-at-all-heartbroken widow, so it's not weird and uncomfortable that Frank has to get a free sex pass from the ghost of his dead wife before he can nail Lucy, whereas Lucy's literally just put her husband in the ground and she's totally up for it. When your film also features spree killings, vengeful serial killer ghosts, matricide, satanic cults, literal heaven and hell to really disfigure the narrative. Who are you going to call? Call the marketing department and have them put the word Ghostbuster on it and hope for the best. That's right. It's very threatening. I was doing my, ca- I did my cage face. <laughs> very threatening. I was doing my cast of Troy at the end of that. <laughs> Oh, let's just think about that for a minute. Uh, what a film. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant face also. So I'll just start. I've never What's Ghostbusters on the poster, sorry? It's on the back of the DVD. Uh, Ghostbuster, Frank Bannister. Okay. Untrue. Right. You cynical motherfuckers. But anyway, um, that I just want to say, I never saw this because I was confused by it. Uh, because How are I'm, you confused by it if you never saw it? Oh, because of the poster. So I would, I saw a trailer. I was like, that's a comedy. It's a horror comedy. That's cool. That's my sort of thing. But Ghostbuster, Frank Bannister, cool. Want to see that? Right. Saw the poster. I was like, oh, no, no, no. It, that's just, it's just a scary film. And I was quite young-ish. The poster where it's the face yeah. pressing through the sheets. Yeah. yeah. And then it says the dead yet. What? No. I don't understand what, what does that, that mean. Yeah, what a weird tagline. So I was just confused by, I, you know... I don't know. I th- I thought it was going to be a funny horror comedy and I was going to go and see it. And then I saw the poster and I was like, no, it's actually just scary. I'm not in the mood for that. And now I've seen it and it's not scary either. So there we go. It's a right mess. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like the tone of this film. Yeah. Wow. We're not there yet. When did you see it? And this is my second watch. And I, I will say, having just said the tone of this movie, I loved it the first time I saw it. I was really into it. it. It somehow managed to be quite a, an enclosed story in this small town about a small number of people and yet it had this really epic feel it felt like quite an epic movie and like very deep very layered there was a lot going on a lot of meat on the bones of this film and i remember thinking it was great and unfortunately 
you know, that wasn't quite the same experience I had on this second watch. But you like it, do you? Um, I'm not going to say okay. how I feel about it just Because he does yet. it properly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you're asking when I first saw it, mm. for example... Which is this section. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I remember uh, a bloke who was two years above me at school called Giles Edwards, who I'm still friends with now. He works in the film industry. He's a producer. He brought in, or one of his mates brought in a copy of Bad Taste by Peter Jackson. And we were doing a play, Merry Wives of Windsor, it was Shakespeare play, and put it on for all the kids that were in the play, the youngsters, and we got in big trouble from the teachers for showing them... Oh, you would, wouldn't you? Peter Jackson Splatterfest. So was Bad Taste your first Jackson movie? Well, I saw some of it. This is the first Peter Jackson film I saw from start to finish. Oh, really? Because I saw bits of Bad Taste and I thought, oh, this is, this is too much for me. And then the next one was too much for me. And I, I wasn't confused by this. Mm. I like the idea of a slightly scary comedy horror mm. and so this was the first one I sat down and watched plus I was a Michael J Fox fan so Brain Dead was mine I've never mm. seen Bad Taste all the way through I watched Brain Dead I had that on VHS I've still got it on VHS that's a great film very good well my first Peter Jackson film just to get into the background was Heavenly Creatures which I really really liked because mm. I was the right age I was you know um, a young girl when I watched it and I just thought it was brilliant so we're right back in Heavenly Creatures kind of Peter Jackson. Um, mm. So Jackson and his writing partner and partner, Fran Walsh, they write a three-page treatment of the idea of the Frighteners and they send it off to the US because obviously Jackson is really well known in New Zealand, but he hasn't quite broken out yet. And this treatment is found by Robert Zemeckis and he loves it. So he commissions his full script and it's going to be, Robert Zemeckis is going to direct the Frighteners as a Tales from the Crypt spin-off on which Robert Zemeckis was an executive producer. So there we go. But then he reads the script and he's like, no, I can't do this. You shall do this, Peter. And says to Universal, Peter shall do it. But guess what? I will get approval over the final cut and I'll also get you Michael J. Fox. So don't worry about it. So there you go. Um, Zemeckis had approval over the final cut. Yes. Okay. Um, but also, Jackson then bargained back to him, didn't he? And he said to him... Um, we we shoot it in New Zealand if I direct it and my company Weta does yes. the effects if yeah. we do it, which is a great bit of bargaining because mm. it makes such a difference and it launches this career. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think I, I do think there there is a there's a cynical part of me that doesn't doubt on some level Peter Jackson did want to showcase Weta's capability with yes. this movie, yeah. which is why, you know, Weta had to do it. And it's it's a showreel. You it's, know, it's it, a showreel, but also it was a way of doing it on the cheap. Yes. If, if Industrial Light and Magic had done those same effects, it probably would have cost double. So he knew he could get we can get this on the sly. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. But also, you know, at, at worst, no, even if he's like, if the movie doesn't do well, it's I can still chop this up, put it together as a showreel and go, look what Weta can do. Yeah, that's true. And then you can have, you know, you can have a career doing that, exactly. I guess. I mean, Weta had done stuff on Heavenly Creatures and the, the, the stuff in Heavenly Creatures is good. And I think it's aged better than The Frighteners. Mm. But I think that's because in... The Frighteners, the CG is the character, whereas in Heavenly Creatures, it's like imagination and decoration. It's like the gardens blooming and things like that. So if it looks dated, it doesn't really matter. It's what the two girls are experiencing. Whereas the Grim Reaper, the soul collector in this, occasionally does look a bit like a sheet. And mm. it, I don't think it's aged very well at all. Mm. Uh, I quite like him. I, I actually, I think, I think the soul collector is one of the strong bits. I think there are it. moments where it's good and there are moments where it's just... Ugh. Every time I think of The Frighteners, the first scene that comes to mind, which I always think is quite a strong scene in a movie, if it's the first thing that pops up in your head when you think of a film, and it's the it's the soul collector leaping from rooftop to rooftop. Mm. Yes. Side. That's all what, and when I think Frighteners, I think that scene. Yeah, yeah. And I think it looks great. It does look good. Um, just some ratings controversy, Chris, because, <coughs> excuse me, you love stuff like that. Um, it was meant to... <laughs> you do, though. 
know. He's just like nodding. Yeah, I know. So it was put into production. It was going to be PG-13. It got an R classification. Peter Jackson's not happy about that because it's got mass shootings in it. So they get the R because of the violence. So then I read two different things. There was no, you know, he was like, okay, fine, fuck it, whatever. I can deal with it. I'll put more gore into it to, to bring the gore to the level of the violence. Mm. I do not see that in front of me. Like, it should be a kid's film. It shouldn't be an R. I think yeah. even the mass shooting stuff is not that bad. Well, but, he, but this he, is he, where we get into the tonal thing. It's like, on the one hand, you know, you've got, like, it's it's a kid's movie, but a guy walking around, uh, a guy and a girl walking around a, 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 a mental hospital with yeah. a shotgun blowing people away is it's pretty dark. It is, yeah. Um, I think the one of the things he did add in, because I heard an interview about this, was Dammers getting his head blown off at the end. That, right. that, that doesn't happen to Dammers. I mean, that's pretty violent for... Hmm? A PG thirteen to watch a head explode. Yeah. What is it? Sorry, finally now. What, what? It's an R. Oh, it is. But an it R. was an R. It was released as an R, right. which obviously affected its its box office. Well, so as I said, I was confused by it. And Peter Jackson has said he thinks the marketing kind of let them down. So it only made it made like nearly thirty million on a budget of like twenty six. So it's not. It didn't do very well. Yeah, and there were contributing factors though, weren't there? Because it came out just after Independence Day because they thought well. Independence Day is going to come and go. Hmm. It didn't. It just <laughs> stayed for the whole summer. It opened the same day the Atlanta Olympics opened. Yeah. And it was supposed to open in October. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But because daylight was being delayed, that Sylvester Stallone shit show, mm. they pushed that back. They put all this forward because they were so confident with it. And they, it became a summer release. It's not a summer movie. No. And it, it's it's a Halloween movie. Yeah. So I think I think that there were they made mistakes on that front. Daylight. Jesus. I don't mind it. <laughs> really? No, I don't mind oh, it. That's a slog. Yeah. And I tolerate a lot, even I'm like, oh, this fucking movie. So it was. That's, it, that's the end of that. I just, yeah. I'd forgotten. I was, because I was going to go, oh, Daylight, we should do that. And then I, remember, I started nah, flashing back to watching fine. Daylight. And I was like, no, we never, <laughs> never need to do that. Vicky can do that one when we're away. Sure. Uh, with both of you. Yeah. Just me. Yeah. Hello, day- everybody. Well, you were working on that, the Daylight monologues, you called them. <laughs> 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 so even though it was a flop, in 2020, it was reported that uh, Charlize Theron's company were developing a series based on the film, but then that fell apart, uh, apparently according to complicated rights issues, which if it was meant to be four tales from the crypt would explain that, but I don't know anything more about that, I'm guessing. And also, why would you want to make a TV show out of this? If it didn't do any well, there's no brand like yeah. re- recognition I'm, and I, you can just yeah. make any series about someone who sees ghosts. Yeah. That's not exclusive been to lo- this movie. There's been loads of them. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did one on Monday. Yeah, but I never thought of that. Like, yeah. Why not just go, I've got this story about a man that can see dead people. The only the only time you ever turn something into a, a, a TV series if people go, oh, that movie, and this didn't even become I a cult classic. The, the only way, the reason to do it is if Peter Jackson is producing and directing your pilot that, sure. I'm sure that's what it was sure. but. yeah that makes perfect sense so that's all I have um, so shall we talk about the film let's yes, do please. it alright good so like you have said Alex the opening is very good the music is very good it's very fucking spooky the way you want it to be and yep. then Dee Wallace is there in the house as Patricia and she is selling the shit out of it she is scared and she is running but then there's rubber wallpaper and it's not that scary. And I don't even know if it would have been scary in 1996. What is happening in this scene? Sorry, because as... Oh, as well, I, I think it's a good question. As it becomes clear later yeah. on, I know I'm jumping ahead, but I can't be bothered to go back to this scene, so I'm doing it now. So that is uh, her husband, uh, well, her lover, uh, Johnny Bartlett, yes. Jake Busey, and yeah. he is her partner. Yeah. 
Who is this <clears throat> pretend chase for the benefits of? Yeah, well, it's to, obviously to wrong footers, but there's it's to wrong of... for us. Yeah. but why are they doing it? Don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It makes. I like the idea that Johnny Bartlett sometimes tries to pull his girlfriend back to wherever he is, and her mother is not having that. So mm, that's what I thought was happening. He's trying to grab her. Yeah, but, th- but she... and take her where? But he's. They are in love at this point. She has brought him back mm. to yeah. this world. So she would be happy to see She'd him. She'd be happy to see him. So why he he isn't in that scene genuinely terrifying her. No. She's running around screaming, yeah. but she knows it's him yeah. and they're in love. Yeah. And she's actually brought him back. Yeah. So I, that what I'm asking is, apart from wrong-footing us, There's nothing. how does that scene work in terms of logic? I thought it was logic? an act for her mum. Is it not an act for her mum? You can put. I mean, no, but there'd be no reason to do that. No, it's 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 a cynical thing to do to set something up that you then can't go. Oh, that was the thing. Which which you know I'm calling it now bullshit, man. You can't do that <laughs> at the start of a movie and never explain yeah. it. Yeah. So I mean, not to like rag on the CG all the time because it was 1996, but. I don't think the wallpaper is scary. I don't really think the soul collector is scary. There are some better moments coming up. I think the ghosts are good when we get there. But if I'm really using my like Ghostbusters thing, are they any better than library ghost? Don't know. People love them, and I get it. Do people? Do people? You mean the the, the ba- internet banisters ghosts? Yeah. You mean the two his two friends his and, two, and the judge? Yeah, two. Yeah. They're they're the, some of the least funny comedy characters I've ever seen created in a major movie. Two of them are instantly forgettable anyway. I, none of them say anything funny for the whole thing, and the judge fucks a mummy yeah. and goes, "I love it when they lie still like this." And you're like, "Is that I, who's that for?" <laughs> I mean, you do go back through all all Peter Jackson's uh, work that he's written as well, and. I'm saying it right now. Peter Jackson is a god. He's a legend. Like, you know, he's made some incredible movies. Peter Jackson's sense of humor does not translate onto film at, at all. Like, he doesn't write funny scripts. Like, there are no, you know, Lord of the Rings is amazing. There aren't, aren't a lot of jokes in it, though. You don't go, <laughs> I'm going to stick on that hilarious 12 hours of Middle Earth. You go, it's a brilliant movie. Meet the Feebles. You know, that's like, that's the level of humor that the mummy joke in this is. And you're like, just don't put comedy in it. You don't, if you can't do it, or. You didn't Maybe. think Meet the Feebles was funny? I, th- I think Meet There's the a Feel- lot of puppet sex in it. <laughs> it's one of the most disturbing, it's, but it's dark. That's the thing. It's not mm. like, oh, funny. It's like the Happy Time Murders dialed up to 12 in terms of uncomfortable viewing. Yeah. I mean, my, my the, the, the issue that I'm going to pull as a through line through the next half hour for me is that there is, he's tried to slam in so, and from us, so much story stuff. Mm. And you don't need all of it. So, and you don't get time to catch your breath. Mm. So we've had, we we know the audience, we've seen rubber wallpaper, haunted house. Cool, we get that, right? Then we hear through the newspaper office scene, fit and healthy people are dying of heart attacks. So, But we're like, okay, we're the audience. We know that ghosts are real. We just saw ghosts. Mm. Okay, cool. Then before we've had time to process the heart attacks, we hear that there was a murder spree in the town. Murders are real, ghosts are not real. So we're like, are the heart attacks real or are the ghosts killing people? There's so much going on and one thing cancels out the other. Like you need to be thinking, ooh, ghosts are killing people or there's a murderer. But it's hard to hold both in your head in the first 10 minutes where what you need is a little bit of handholding to get you through the world building and Agreed. all the rest of it. It's just a massive info dump in about 10 minutes and you're left going, what was the bit I was meant to hold on to? Yeah. So the best example of what I mean, so then we meet Trini Alvarado's Lucy Linsky, she tries to visit Patricia and her mum doesn't let her in. And then we get a ton more exposition via video. And then Jake Busey is Johnny Bartlett. And we've got this Charles Starkweather type killing spree. And you're just, you're watching all of that and you're trying to sort of get your head around that. 
And then you're like, okay, cool. Oh, look, there's a poltergeist in your house. What? Like you've just watched this video exposition of a spree killer mm. and then you're supposed to go, oh, but cool, now there's a poltergeist. It's just, I just found it too much to sort of take in. And Lucy Linsky is like, we have a poltergeist in our house. It's like, why do you believe it? What? Yeah. what? Like, yeah. So I found that a bit much. I, I like the funniness of the bed jumping up and down and the spooky doll thing. Do you know but... why I think that's funny, though? And I think he's so integral and actually somehow in the messed up tone of this movie manages to find like funny moments is Peter Dobson as mm. Ray. He's just hilarious. He just works. Yeah. I think he's great and he's in that bed scene. Mm. Yeah. And like, he's really good. You know, the, the funeral scene where, you know, he was like, he's crying over his own burial is hilarious. I always, and this isn't just in The Frighteners, this is kind of in everything, but like the rules of ghosts, I get quite upset about. So why would you not be able to climb out of your own grave? Mm -hmm. Why later um, Frank Bannister falls through floors and walls, he can't find purchase because he's first a ghost. Mm -hmm. So can you stand or can you not stand? But, Why have you, you know, all of this? But the whole thing, I mean, that if, if you want to like nail down exactly the biggest problem with this is that even when you sort of go, all right, let's have the ghosts as my through line here. This is the centre stage. This is Frank Bannister's thing. I'm going to follow these ghosts. There's a ghost killing people and other ghosts. Cool. All right. But what are the rules? Yes. What happens to a ghost when it dies? What what have why why is it that Frank Bannister at the end suddenly flashes back to the murders that Patricia and Johnny Bartlett carried out? Yeah. That he's never flashed back before. No one's flashed back before. What why is this happening now? It's like why is what uh, when the when Leo uh, Ali Ermi, like the drill sergeant, like is shooting those guns? Do they can they hurt humans? Can they hurt go? What is going on? Yeah, there's just it's just scattershot, and it's like it's. The whole thing feels like thought, like not enough thought has been put into it. Or maybe too much thought. Like, so this scene, you meet Frank now and he's doing his thing. He's got his holy water gun. He's brilliant, obviously. Michael J. Fox is brilliant. Do you think so? I do think so. I mean, now I've read a lot of reviews about, you know, Michael J. Fox doesn't get his due as a serious actor and that you can never escape Martin McFly and all of that. And I can see what he's reaching for later when he's like sad and vulnerable and all the rest of it. And it's not his fault, but I'm just like, oh, that's just so awkward that Martin McFly feels sad. <laughs> so I just, I like him here. I don't quite, because he's not quite, he's not jaded enough. He's just like, I'm a con man doing my thing. And it's my comfort zone in terms of like spooky, silly comedy. Someone says that ectoplasm, I'm there. That's fine. Mm. That's all you need to say. But then he's a con man. And so, because it says so on the poster and it says so in all the promotional stuff. So imagine my surprise that after fleecing the Linskys, he goes outside and there's two ghosts there. She's like, you're not a con man then, are you? Like a con man is like, there are ghosts in your house and I'm moving this Yeah, but he's put which... the ghosts in the house. I know. So that makes him a con man because they're, they're all in the con together. Yeah, so then it's like, although they're the only three ghosts he can see then. But until later no. when he sees loads of oh, ghosts. Okay. So if you can see ghosts, yeah. isn't it a bit of a waste of your time? to send them into other people's houses to move the furniture when you could just be like, go and get me a message from Abraham Lincoln, please, and I will make one billion pounds. <laughs> like, that's what I would do. He gets called out for it, though, doesn't he? The judge tells him death ain't no way to make a living, mm. so they're judging him. Sure. I mean, yeah, fine. But, but That long scene, though, where you meet the ghost, where we're in, we're in Bannister's unfinished house and the rain's coming in and everything. You meet Judge and you meet the other two ghosts and the dog ghost that's stolen Judge's door. And that scene is meant to be a sort of funny, uh, a little window into Bannister's home life and his relationship with these ghosts. And it, the whole scene feels dragged out and falls flat. Like, yeah. there's ju it just... 
Oh, come on. I just think if you're, if you're creating a character that's unusual, irrespective of the actor that's going to play it, what you've done, what I would do, so maybe this isn't the right thing, but naturally be like, okay, what's a really cool idea for a con man? And it's like a con man who doesn't believe in ghosts because he's a con man can suddenly see ghosts mm. and he is the last person that everyone would believe because he's a fucking con man. So he goes, I like the ghosts come to him and say, we can save the town and we can only communicate with... It's like ghosts, actually. <laughs> we can only communicate to you because you're receptive or whatever. And... He has to save the town whilst being the last person anyone would listen to. But he's like half a con. I just, I, I think my problem is that my the way Michael J. Fox plays Frank Bannister, and not all of it is is Fox's fault. I think a lot of it is the script, but he's just not very likable. Like he doesn't smile. He doesn't seem to be having fun. Like the bits that should play, they should be played for laughs. Like if you imagine. I mean, you mentioned Ghostbusters, so let's do it. Bill Murray's scene where he's walking around Dana uh, Barrett's apartment with that squeaky, that psh, psh thing, yep. and he's like, he's conning the flawless, shit out of her. Flawless scene. It's beautiful. The bit where Michael J. Fox comes in uh, to the Linsky's yeah, house, yeah. and you just like this. This on paper has the potential to be that scene, to be yeah. funny as fuck, yeah. and, and it's just like he's playing. His character, like he's playing up the broken, divorced, heartbroken part of his character too much. That you're like, this, that does that. That's fine, and you can be that in your quiet moments. But you, when you're on a con, yeah, like enjoy the con. Let us believe you're really fucking good at this. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I see this now. Yeah, I agree. I just think, I think as well. I mean, we can do it later, or we can do it now. The problem is, we can do it now. The problem is, <laughs> are you asking my permission? No, you're not. <laughs> Why, why, why does he build a basketball court over the place he said to his wife he was going to give her a garden? I don't know. Because it's never told. We're never, ever told. So therefore, he's actually a dick who <laughs> promised his wife a garden and built himself a basketball court. Yeah. And he never he never even apologises to her in fucking heaven at the end. He goes, do you know what? I was a dick. Sorry about there's that. No, there's no ownership of that. He just does it. And then after she's dead, he builds a garden instead because he's fucking guilty. Well, of course yeah, you are. But he's someone else by then. Yeah, so. I just, it's its a right old mess. Um, let's have a short break on that note. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Does he make you nervous? <laughs> I just, I'm just, honestly, I, 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 I just have all these questions. Yeah. That I'm, I'm sort of hoping one of you is going to go, no, oh, no he builds no. the basketball court because X. I think and I'm like, oh, I missed that. I'm well, they're saying that he was a bad, a bad husband. Dude, yeah. mm. And now he's realised the error of his ways and he's put the garden there. She's seen the garden. 
Yeah. She knows. So the next con, this is a fun scene, flying babies. That's great. Love those flying babies. Oh, but this is confusing to me. I love a flying baby. Yeah, of course. And the babies do look really scary when they sort of crowd in on that woman's face. That's that's good. Mm-hmm. And so, But then the jig is up kind of thing. The woman... A woman has seen babies flying around <laughs> her house and then is like, you're busted, mister. Yeah. This is clearly bullshit. Yeah. That, but you just saw yeah. babies flying the around The headline house. says you're a con man, so somehow you made my babies fly. <laughs> so how, though? <laughs> give, me, give, me, give me at least one answer. Yeah. It's just stupid. I know, it is. Why would you... Oh, there's just... No. Okay, anyway. So, then... Ray dies and Frank had seen 37 carved onto his head, like but spooky carved, not real carved, so no one else could see it. And then Lucy, who is racked with non-grief, goes to a medieval-themed restaurant with Frank, who convinces her that he can see the ghost of Ray by knowing that it's their anniversary. That's not quite enough, I don't think. She's like, oh, is that it? Okay, great, you must, you must be here then. No, but this scene is about the only scene in the two hours of this movie that actually gets it right tonally, which is like... You're looking for some comedy in your movie. The comedy is he can see a ghost. The ghost can maybe cause trouble and definitely hear what you're saying to the woman you fancy who's his wife, his, like, widow. Yeah. This is a funny setup right here. Yeah. And and it kind of it kind of gets good where Ray knocks over the water and, like, when, <laughs> I mean, it's not a nice line because that's his wife and he just died. But when she's, like, puts her hand on, like, she says, Ray was always terrible with money. And he goes, you Bitch! Oh yeah, that's nasty. It's nasty, but the scent that the way you find humour in that dynamic, that's where the comedy lies. And they I don't feel explore like, it. Enough. As the writers, they're like, oh fuck, we actually do have a problem here, mm-hmm. which is that the romance is really muddy and it doesn't need to be. Fine, fridge Frank's wife, whatever, because it's like fucking standard policy by now or whatever. But she if she's just widowed. She was widowed ten minutes ago, and they've gone, oh fuck. That's not, no one likes that. We like things really, really straightforward. We like ghost where they're just really in love. So what we'll do is we'll make a problem with Ray, mm. which was he, he he spent all their money. But dead and people, he called her the B word, so yeah. he's a villain on two fronts. So yeah, but uh, I just, time for you to move on. Yeah, already. <laughs> so I don't know what what was it in the 1990s as well. We've done a lot of films from the 1990s, and I'd say about 50 percent of them have medieval themed restaurants. No, nearly. <laughs> Nearly. <laughs> the protagonist is an architect. Oh, yeah. What was it? Let's name the films. Wait, what's that one? Uh, the one with Demi Moore in... Oh, God. Indecent oh, Proposal. Woody, yeah, yes. Woody, Woody Harrelson is a failing architect. Yeah. God, it, there's so many. There was so, there's so many that we've done, and he, I just don't know what we would. But they what was in the water. But they pop up in rom-coms because it's fucking 500 Days of Summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wannabe Architect. Mm. It's a perfect rom-com Sleeping job. with the enemy. He, the guy, the, mm. the wife beater yeah. in that, he's an architect. Yes. Yeah. Just car- carrying around a file of papers. Isn't and... it because it's a job that everyone knows what it is, but no one knows what it is kind of thing. So mm. you could, if someone said I to you, I'm an said, architect, yeah. you wouldn't say, what do you do? I think it's sort of a manly job, but creative. Yes. So you're basically... And well paid. It's like engineering. So you you know your sciences, but yep. you can still draw pretty pictures. So yep. you, you, you could be a good guy, but yeah. you're still a man. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is what it and is. he's doing this job to finish the house, he says. That's what he's earning the money for. But is he? does he really want to finish the house? House, or is he trying to not finish the house? He's trying to not of, finish the yeah, house because yeah. he's in grief. Yeah. Okay. Which again complicates the romance arc. If the romance wasn't, we'll get to the end. But if the romance wasn't the button on which it ends, it's not such a big deal. You can have a complicated romance. But imagine the final emotional beat is um, Frank's business is doing really well or the town is safe forever or whatever. That isn't. We end the film on a fucking horrible picnic. Yeah. Or uh, imagine uh, you've met your deceased wife in heaven. Mm. 
But rather than the film spend any time with yeah, those two interacting, yeah. you actually have a, a ghost who you'd forgotten died a lot earlier talking about how heaven is full of honeys and how great the honeys are. <laughs> and Frank has actually left by the time like your wife, like it's this completely forgiving person who has no explanation for anything. She just goes... Remember to live. Yeah, or something she says. Like, be, no, she tells him to be happy. Be happy because yeah. she's seen the the garden over the basketball court. She knows, and that was enough. Yeah, yeah. but what about the honeys in heaven? Huh? Yeah, and she's friends with them, but she shouldn't be friends with them. No. She doesn't know who they are. No. Uh, where's Ray? Ray doesn't show up at that moment because <laughs> that would be uncomfortable. <laughs> so Frank in the bathroom, he spots number thirty eight, victim number thirty eight, and then that victim is gone. The CG here, I think the mirror stuff. I do like that. Like, yeah. I think that's mm, cool. It's a brutal scene. Is it? Yeah, this, this, yeah, I found this quite hard to watch. When I was a kid, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm all right now. Okay. It's that idea of just going to the toilet. It's like, it's, it's the idea because it puts you in a circumstance. We've all been to toilets in restaurants and the idea that you could be killed just standing in front of a restaurant mirror and not. And having your heart squeezed to Mm -hmm. death. I think that's a that's a horrendous thought. I think the spooky thing for me is that you know when death comes, there's nothing you can do. Like the when Lucy later evades it, I found that irritating because it, it was so it's so final. Like this thing comes and you are gone, and there's nothing you can do about it, which is how it is. So when she he's you know he puts his hand inside her heart and it hurts, but she doesn't instantly it die. It takes a bit too long. Yeah, a little bit. She, like because this guy's like. Gone. Yeah, gone. And with Lucy, it's like, oh, oh, I'm wrestling with your heart. It's a bit stiff, this <laughs> it one. It's moving. Oh, I can't get a purchase on it. Yeah. So let's get to the best bit, though, which is Special Agent Milton Dammers. Right, A, you know, I like a name. Milton Dammers. Mm. Awesome. Really good. Big, huge tick. So many ticks. Um, he's the most fun, um, played by Jeffrey Combs. And we get to hear about Frank's sad backstory. Oh. So his wife was fridged and she had a 13 carved into her head and then they never found the knife and ooh, that will be important later. I do think, uh, I'm not honestly, I'm really, like, I, I feel like I should love Milton Dammers. Yeah. And there's a part of me where part of this, I'm like, I think he is brilliant. And there's a part of me that thinks he's absolutely out of place. Because in he doesn't surprise you. He he starts and ends more or less the same. So when he pulls his shirt up and at the end and he's like, oh, I'm into this satanic thing. It's like, but you thought that anyway, because the, the way he presents and the way he looks is so odd. It's, it's more the fact that, I, well, I will say, I think it's good that... Uh, that they sort of forgive him. Like, he has been selected by the FBI to be their undercover guy in cult. So he must have done one, it went well, and then he's repeatedly had to do this. So it's almost not his fault he's become indoctrinated by all these cults that he was forced professionally to uh, go undercover in. So in that respect, you find a bit of sympathy for him. But then I think at the end, he's a little bit rapey with yes, he Lucy is. and that, then you're like I don't know what you're meant to be then yeah I'm just confused by another freaking aspect of this movie <laughs> Jeffrey Coombs is an actor who never knowingly underacts yeah ever and I'm really surprised this role wasn't written for him mm-hmm. but I listened to him talking about it on a podcast called um, Eli Roth's History of Horror and yeah, he was saying they wanted an older, an older actor and they couldn't find one. And so because he's in Reanimator and him and Barbara Crampton are both in Reanimator, all the horror people that grew up loving that film have all cast them in their film. But this wasn't something that Peter Jackson did. He just, he remembered him when he um, screen tested him and he got the role. But yeah, you're right. He said that he, he played it like what happens when patriotism takes you to a point where you will do anything for your country. They probably pulled him out of some white nationalist group. He was submerged in sex and cults and he emerged a damaged person. 
and he's gone mad, basically. Mm. And he said the villains of the FBI who were sending him into these situations. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, as I say, I mean, it's a, it's broad, isn't it? It's not, it's yeah. not sort of what he does, but no. I guess it fits in with the, the tone of the film. It reminds yeah. me, it reminds me of a really dark Jim Carrey character. Yeah, I think that's fair. So now, are we at a museum or a gallery? Why are we at a museum or a gallery? I can't remember. But because at a distance, Frank sees a light going out of the museum, which suggests another victim uh, has been murdered there, and he's on the on in hot pursuit. So of we go the to a museum, and here is victim number forty. And I, this is where it, it, I think it, maybe it does do this enough. I was I was being very critical by this point because I was a bit disappointed, but. Uh, she's the newspaper woman I've forgotten her name Maddie maybe something she runs the newspaper she's got 40 carved on her head and he Frank is like you're next and she's like this person is threatening me and you're like oh yeah that is what that sounds like that's Mm. good and then we we do more of that later where Milton Dammers is like this is you you're doing that you know with your shaky hands and all the rest of it but once I got into that, then it's just that you've made you've mentioned the joke about the judge shagging the mummy, and I was so appalled by that joke. Not morally upset, but just like that is so excruciatingly unfunny, yeah. and I could have forgiven it if it ended. But then when he says, "I like it when they lie still," yeah. it's like, "Whoa, whose idea was that?" <laughs> it's horrible. It's just grim. It, it is really horrible. Grimy joke, and it's, yeah. and, it's, and it's Gomez Adams. Yeah, John Astin. Don't put those words in his mouth. Mm. It's and then then the the soul collector arrives and is like slashing through the museum and I think the CG here is good but it's not at all scary it's just not scary but it isn't funny either so where are we and all the rest of it and then this is not Michael J Fox's fault but he is the clean cut hero of your youth and then he knocks a woman out to help her and that's not good like it's never good so it's. Understanding a comedy, I don't know. I'm very harsh on stuff like this, but like a sort of clean punch to knock someone like a swoon and whatever, but it just doesn't play like that. He just hits her to help her. It's mm. gross. And so when she wakes up in so the car... So you're saying you wouldn't want me and Alex to hit you to help you? No, I don't want you to hit me to help me. But then you'll <laughs> die. You will die. Can't you just give me some good solid probably advice? Like, probably, no. yeah, probably don't come at me like with like, yeah, your speech wasn't very good. Oh, I'm really like, sorry. On my special I'm day. So, I am so, I'm so sorry. I'm, I am such a twat. I'm sorry. Well, then I'm sorry for knocking you out and I'm pleased you don't remember. <laughs> it's just, where are we are now? Mark, take on. There's <laughs> a choice between don't drink or don't think thoughts. Because <laughs> the minute I thought it, I was like, that is not an appropriate thing for you to share with him ever. Don't ever say it. And the fact that I was like, you, before I go. No, you singled me out. It wasn't, it wasn't even by accident. You marched across the pub towards, I've got news God, for it's you. It's so weird because I went across the, the pub to tell you how much I enjoyed your speech. And I appreciated that. Thank you, Chris. That was really, really nice. I'm just, I am really sorry because I had the internal dialogue with myself, which didn't work and I, never works. I'd rather that internal dialogue sort of, I don't know, osmotically found its way into the ether between me and you. <laughs> and you left before I get a nice photo of the three of us. Yeah. Oh, I had a podcast picture. Oh, did you? Yeah, just me and him. I got one with just me and him. It's not the same. <laughs> I wouldn't have come across very well in that photo. By no, that I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It was quite late. Did you get any t- cacti to take home? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> no cactus for her although I'm really embarrassed I, I, but I'm, I'll apologise to you again not publicly I am really sorry it's not appropriate it's and I, fine it's not fine it was hilarious it's not fine I feel really really bad about it it was funnier than anything in this film <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Good segue back to this film. Mm. Oh, so where are we? So yeah, so Maddie like wakes up in the car and she's really scared of Frank. And it's like, of course you're scared of him. And he's a bit like, I'm just trying to help you. And it's like, but you just punched her. So she has every right to be scared. 
Anyway, she meets her end in the same way that Deborah, which is Frank's frigid wife, met her end. So Frank is like, yeah, I'm going to turn myself in because this is this doesn't look very good. Like this, maybe I am responsible. It's all coincidence, though, isn't yeah. it? It's like it's almost like you kind of want Johnny Bartlett to have orchestrated this death to look like Frank's uh, yes. reenacting his wife's death because then that'll allow him to carry on his uh, like killing spree yeah. uninterrupted like they've got their man but it's it's just pure coincidence that Frank drives off at exactly the same point on the road that he drove off the road with his wife yeah, he's, he's a bad driver he's a menace um, <laughs> he crashes his car four times I think in this film yeah. there are a couple of times there are reasons for it a couple of times there aren't get this man off the road <laughs> so we get the yeah. interrogation scene I think it's fun I like it I also think uh, Fox is really really good here as well I think he's good for him which is a really horrible thing to say but wow I know I know I know do you really like him in this thing Chris Uh, I think think he's particularly good in that scene I think he's particularly good in that scene this scene would be better however if like and it would be a different film but the way the scene is played is as though that Frank is being convinced, like by Dammers, yes, that he is responsible. That he is not only responsible, but that the whole ghosts. Yeah, well, yeah, the whole ghost thing are a figment of his imagination. And it would be amazing at this point to have watched the film this far, yeah. and then to be a version of this film, yes. whereby every single thing that had happened could have been a hallucination yeah. on Frank's part from guilt, and like you, you, the fact that it, it doesn't do that at all. It's a shame because I would love to have the wool, like the the rug pulled from beneath me at this point and go, holy yeah. shit! I got excited. Oh, go real or not? Yeah, I was like, oh my god, that's what they. Oh no, they don't do it. Yeah. But it looked like they were, and it would it would have been really good. Like, and I didn't understand the. This is me. And this isn't, a, I think, a problem with the film, but. Milton Dammers' motivation. I was like, you are the you're a special agent investigating spooky stuff, basically. Mm. So if you think that Frank really can kill you with his mind, you would be excited on some level because you found the thing that you've been sent to look for by the FBI, no? He's he acts like a man that has no time for the paranormal because he's like, you're going to kill me. But if it's the thing you spent your life's work looking for or investigating or whatever, it's, you know, a little bit X-Files, isn't it? It's like scary, but it's cool kind of thing. Yeah. So I didn't get that. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So then uh, we go back to Patricia's house and Ray's there. And it is a shame because he gets dead dead trying to save his uh, wife. Which makes no sense because he's now a good guy again. Yes, he flips back to being a good guy. And then that knife is there, but no one really cares about the knife. Like, um, So then Lucy Linsky, I just find that name annoying. <laughs> so Lucy visits Michael J. Fox in prison. And he is a vulnerable widower accused of a crime he didn't commit. So she has a massive go at him about just really generic romance stuff. He's like, what are you afraid of? Which no one's ever said to anyone ever. (laughs) Um, And then they have a cuddle. And the reason they have a cuddle is because the writers have very wisely gone, oh shit, they actually can't kiss yet because it's so complex. The, you know, the the sort of stuff we haven't tied, it's not that complex, but you know what I mean? Like for a film like this, Mm. you don't want any like sort of loose threads. So why not kiss? Why have a weird sexless cuddle? Because he's not got permission yet from Mm. his dead wife. Um, and then Lucy's number 41 obviously and then here's a new rule which kind of makes sense but if you're being picky it's like mm, there's only one way to deal with dead that's be dead why is that he's been dealing with them so far yeah it's a nice idea so he becomes a ghost himself so she's a fucking lunatic she's an a literal doctor mm. and her proof that the other side exists is him saying 
isn't it your anniversary today? And she sedates a man and puts him in a freezer. Like, yeah. strike that woman off. It's a funny one as well, isn't it? Because it's that thing that's just done in the wrong order and it's done to let us know stuff. Um, but at no point would it have happened in the order it happens in the film, which is she injects him and then goes, this will work as long as I can wake you up, which you would have had that conversation. No matter what world you live in, she would have said that before injecting yeah. you. Like, you do know I might not be able to wake you up, now inject you. But it's less dramatic. Yeah. Uh, so Frank is dead and then he shoots the soul collector with a big gun and you've mentioned it. Why does that work? And I'm being picky, but... Ghostbusters, none of the science makes any sense, but they just say, this is a proton pack and don't cross the streams. You go, okay, cool. Like, yeah. I'll buy it, no problem. But why this big gun works, I've not, no one's bothered to explain it to me. So I I think I actually think it's quite a fun scene, to be honest, but I don't understand why it sort of shreds the soul collector. But in Ghostbusters, you, the thing is about Ghostbusters, not that these are totally comparable at all, it's like you don't need to know. Like, you don't have scenes in Ghostbusters where a ghost is attacking another ghost and yes. there is a threat of death for a ghost. It's yeah. like, the Ghostbusters bossed ghost. Got that. Name's in the title. Yeah. But, like, here, it's like, do the, why do these bullets... What, what? I just don't understand what happens to a ghost when it dies and there are ghosts dying left, right and centre, yeah. including people we know, like Ray and Judge, and you're like, and that what happens to them? And it's not enough at the end to have... Not, I don't think even Judge appears at the end, weirdly no, enough, so. which is strange. It's not enough to sort of like have at the end going, oh, they went to ghost heaven. It's like, okay, so if you're a ghost in this movie and you're trapped on Earth, like why are some ghosts in heaven and why are some still hanging around the graveyard? Yes. Because it seems like Michael J. Fox says to Ray, he says, uh, Frank Bannister says to Ray, uh, you, didn't go, you didn't take the tube then. It'll come back in a year, so make sure you get in it. Mm. But a shortcut is to get killed by another ghost. <laughs> so you don't have to wait for the tube if you get killed because that sends you to heaven like his two friendly ghosts end up doing anyway. Yeah. They go straight to heaven. It does, it's just scattershot yeah. nonsense. You're right. So a lot of story here. So the Soul Collector turns into Johnny. I like the effects. It's great. Mm. It's not scary, but it is good. So the Soul Collector, just story, story, story here. So the Soul Collector is Johnny Bartlett and Patricia, she was always in on it, which is a fun switch. Um, and they murdered tons of people. So what we've got now is ghosts and mass murderers and a mass murderer coming back as a ghost, which I think is too many things. And like you said, you, it's fine for Patricia to go, ha-ha, I was always in on it. But then you do remember the earlier scene because mm -hmm. you haven't seen much else of her. So you think, well, what, what were you running away from then? Why were you so scared? Exactly. I do remember the switcheroo, though, and Dee Wallace is very good. She's brilliant. She plays it so well. I remember being like, oh, my God, that's a nice twist. Yeah, it's good, really good. Yeah, and the pair of them feel genuinely dangerous to me. Yeah. Like, you feel like you're watching Insanity. Do you, and... Well, you know it's based on a real thing. Do you know about Charles Starkweather? This is from a true crime uh, obsession. Charles Starkweather and his 14-year-old girlfriend killed like 11 or 12 people over two months and they went on the run. So California used it and natural born killer, you know, loosely, a, you know, a couple that are spree killing. But when he was arrested... Is this the Badlands couple? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So when he was arrested, <laughs> he said that he kidnapped... She was like, I have nothing to do with this because he, he killed her family as well um, in front of her. But then they went on the run for like two more months. So when he was arrested, he was like, I kidnapped her and she was my hostage. And she was like, that's how it went. And then over time, he was like, she murdered tons of people and he wanted her to go to the chair the same as he did. And she maintained she didn't do it. But then other witnesses were like, she definitely did. So 
she had the same end as Patricia did, which is she was sentenced, but she didn't get the chair. He did. And she spent her a lot of time in a like a sanatorium. And then she was released for good behaviour. You know, it's all very... But she was 14 and it is really scary. Like, wow. I know. And he was 19 and he was obsessed with James Dean. So it's really... It's obviously gross. I don't really mean this, but there are pictures of him coming out of the courthouse and you can see that he's he understands how to take a good photo. So he looks very handsome because mm. he's dressed himself like James Dean and he's smoking a cigarette and he looks really cool. And it's like, that's so fucking weird. Like, he's waited for his moment. The way that... Um, Johnny Bartlett does in this. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot. Anyway. Connection between the films then. Real life tragedies uh, used for comedic or <laughs> storytelling. Effect yeah. Flight 409 on Monday. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So here's a new random rule, which does make sense if you're into like supernatural stuff, but if you're not, uh, we need to take Johnny's ashes to a chapel and it needs to be the hospital chapel. Mm. Why? it's fine it's consecrated ground I get all of that but yeah. whatever um, so then we go back to the hospital I do like that Frank sees the hospital as you've said Alex it doesn't make much sense but yeah. Frank sees the hospital restored as it was oh I wrote that down I wrote, I wrote like, why, why, why is this happening and I wrote because it looks cool it does look good yeah. and I think Michael J Fox is good in this I think same as you when you said about the setup scene where Frank is like, here's some ectoplasm and whatever. You could have had better jokes as a result of him not being aware of his place and time a bit more rather than going, the chapel's on the fourth floor. Like that's maybe not the best use of that conceit, yeah. but whatever. Young Patricia is here and current Patricia and I, I like all of that. This bit, I, I wrote a lot about this and I was like, maybe I'm just in a very bad mood about it. Lucy is also in this scene and, and Frank and Lucy are working together to like get Patricia and get the ashes to the, the place. And then I don't know if the director was just like, there's just, there we've got one woman and then we've got a young woman. So that's going to be the one, two, that's three. That's a lot. What should we do? Just put one of them in a lift. Like, and just, she just gets marooned in the lift for no reason. Like, it's not scary. She's, she's not like, get me out of this lift or it's going to plummet and I'll die. It's just, <laughs> I'm stuck in a lift. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's bad. Yeah. I was, I'm annoyed by the character of Lucy Linsky, but I think she deserves a bit better than just like, oh, you've done your bit. There's two women here doing some shit, so you need to get in the lift. <laughs> anyway. Get in the lift. Get in the lift. <laughs> so Patricia kills Frank. Oh, no. But then it's all right, because then ghost Frank pulls Patricia to the the light, like up the tube, and then Johnny follows her, but they end up on the express bus to hell. But obviously, like, where did they think they were going to go? Yeah, but do you know what the problem is with this as well? This is just, this is like, this is why this movie, like, it starts with something that makes no sense and it doesn't bother to explain it, and it ends with something that is meant to be a big, powerful moment that is absolute nonsense because they get dragged to hell where is it said that Johnny escaped from after going there earlier in the film, hell? Yeah. So hell is not their yeah, end no. because he is only on earth because they say he escaped from hell. <laughs> yeah. So he's just going back to somewhere he's previously escaped from. So again, it's not like they don't get their comeuppance. Yeah. So this, I'm nearly done, but I want to talk about this a minute because I couldn't believe this was happening. So Deborah's here. Brilliant. So are oh, we fridged the wife? No, we didn't. Here she is. Mm. She's going to have a real chat. She gives Frank the sex pass. She also gives him his life back. So she says, it's not your time. And you think, oh, okay. Why is that? Oh, because he was brutally murdered in the prime of his life. Hang on, Deborah. You were brutally murdered in the prime of your life by the same fucking person. <laughs> so it's your time, but mm. it's not his. But she, I, I, I reckon she didn't like basketball and that's annoying. <laughs> so <laughs> I just found it so lazy. 
Oh, well, I'll, I'll get to it in my change. There needs to be another reason why Frank gets a not free sex pass, gets a free pass to go back to be alive. Like, there's no difference between the way he met his end and how Deborah met his end, realistically, as in um, uh, in detail. So why is it her? What's her time? Why is she allowed to be dead? It's not fair. Is Frank dead? Sorry, did Frank die? Patricia kills him. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He gets sent back. Uh, because Deborah is God, apparently, or whatever, and he's like, no, you go back down. And then he goes back down, and Lucy can see ghosts too. Well, well, whatever. Yep. And she picnics with Frank, and by this point, I was like, huh! And in the worst thing I've ever set to Don't Fear the Reaper, which is a wicked song and you can make anything cool, she chases him with a blanket like a dickhead, and they both look like dickheads and She's film ends. She's like a ghost <laughs> Oh, yes. She's scared sheetless. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, although we do get that nice little bit with our, our friendly sheriff from the lawnmower man last week, Troy Evans. It's the same sheriff. Is it? Yeah, I thought it, you know what I thought oh. it was because I'd watched this before we recorded last week and I thought, this guy's very familiar. Yeah, yeah. He's got his yeah. thing he's a that he does. He's a likable presence. Yeah. A likable town sheriff is he's what he great. is. He's great. He's the best thing in this movie. I should have put him as my MVW. I got annoyed because I love that song and so it starts up and you're like, oh, brilliant. No, no, like... no, no one's allowed to use it. No. no one's allowed to use it. It's like having a scene in London and playing London Clawling by The Clash. It's just not allowed anymore. <laughs> uh, that blanket thing really upset me. So we're done. Great. Okay, good. So this film that you loved so much, Alex, what's your best scene? Uh, Drag to Hell. Really? Yeah, yeah I do. I know I just badmouthed it because it said that Johnny Bartlett escaped from hell already so it doesn't feel like an, uh, uh, anything final. But Patricia's face, as she sort of realises that they're not going back to Earth and that like she's like ended up being taken to hell is very good. She she sells that. Dee Wallace is great. Yes, she is. What about you? Oh, good question. Um, and let me find that section. Um, I like the watching the two murder sprees play out side by side in the hospital. I think that must have been very hard to shoot and write and choreograph. But I think it's uh, even if it there's no explanation for it, I think it's very uh, effective visually. Mine is exactly the same for exactly the same reasons. It's very visually arresting, even if it doesn't make much sense, but mm. it's unusual and it brings all these story strands together, which have frustrated me in a very coherent way. And my best scene is probably the two shooting sprees neck and next to each other in the hospital. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Visually arresting, even if it doesn't make a it's whole lot good. of sense. Yeah. <laughs> It's good. Three for three. <laughs> um, okay. Um, what's your um, most valuable whatever, Chris? Oh, I feel silly saying this now, but I'm going to say, because uh, I think she's a shout Fran Walsh. <laughs> I, she's always in Peter Jackson's shadows. I, I don't think she minds that as she doesn't really court publicity, but um, I think she's this incredible creative force. So I want to give Fran Walsh her due. Lovely. What about you? I've no idea who that is. So Peter Jackson. <laughs> Joking. Whoa! I was Whoa. doing a joke. He was doing a joke. I, he used to, doing... I don't know. He used, to, he used to be a comedian. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> it was my. I was doing my my friend was Peter Jackson. Who's who material? Okay. It was great back I'm in the sorry, day. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, sorry. No, I, I think Fran Walsh is a great shout, but I'm giving it to Peter Jackson. Uh, not for the writing, uh, mm. but uh, for the direction, because I think it looks great for all its. Uh, for all of the, the mess of the tonality of this film, I do think it just, he shoots the shit out of stuff. And, you know, there are bits in there where you sort of go, oh, that reminds me of Sam Raimi, the POV stuff, where it's uh, the ghost is there, uh, the, the, the soul collector's flying through the graveyard and stuff. But there are other bits and pieces. And he's, he's just an amazing director. And I think, you know, his use of special effects in this film probably paved the way for three of the greatest movies of all time, which is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So, Peter Jackson. Who are you going to say? The Hobbit trilogy. 
<laughs> that is, but actually, I should have said that's a mistake on my part. If you're a comedian, oh. <laughs> yep. uh, mine is Dee Wallace. I just think she's yeah, really good. she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and mine is Fran Walsh. Uh, two, two for Fran Walsh and one for Dee Wallace. That's Lovely. our third Dee Wallace in like six months, and yeah. she's so different in all of them. Yeah, I nearly didn't recognise her at mm. first. She's really, she's really, really good, and I like that she gets a. You know, he, he does, the writers do give the woman lots to do at the end, which is quite unusual, given that they, they were joint mm. murderers and stuff like that. Yep. It's good. Uh, where are we? So what would you change, Alex? Uh, make uh, Bannister just more likeable. Like, I, I just, I really feel there is a black hole. And again, it's not entirely Michael J. Fox's fault. I think, like, uh, the writing perhaps hasn't helped, but... Man, it's like where there should be some charisma and some like, you know, I want to care about this character, but he's made out to be a dick, uh, like for for no clear reason. And you're supposed to just forgive him because his wife forgives him at the end. That's right, at the end of the film. That means I've watched the whole film to get to a point where, oh, if his wife forgives him, I guess he's all right. He, like the, the comedy scenes aren't played well enough. Uh, but really, more than that, just, just simplify the rules. I know we talked on Monday that... Um, Beetlejuice, you know, it doesn't really know its rules inside out, but it doesn't need to. Here, you've got a movie that essential information is contained within the rules of these scenes. And without them, you are left just without any idea of what the consequences are, why people do what they do, what happens to people. So you're just watching a, a very, very visually arresting. That's the third time I think someone's used that. A beautiful looking film directed by a brilliant director and you know, you're left sort of going, I don't know what the fuck. I'm I mean, I know this is really about. simplistic and reductive, but Beetlejuice is 90 minutes mm. and this is two hours. Yeah. So, or 150, something like that. But if if you're 90 minutes and you're starting to get frustrated by the lack of rules, it's done before you've had time to really get too bothered. True. Whereas when it's like a real film length, then you it, you do expect certain... Well, the difference is, is that this has a plot and Beetlejuice doesn't. Exactly. And so the rules matter here and they don't in Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's exactly what I wrote down. It's like, this is a whodunit. Like, and yes. so, you know, because of that... You, you are trying to follow a, tr a logic train through this movie and it doesn't let you do that, which me makes it a very unsatisfying experience. Yeah. Uh, what would you change? I think we need some justice for Ray Linsky. <laughs> now, he lost her money and he does use the B word, which is grim. And he's a bit of a bully and a bit of a prat, but he's not evil. And I think he gets murdered and then has to watch... His, his ex get together with this guy immediately mm. and then I just I feel quite sorry for Ray and as you said the guy that plays him is really good yeah so Peter I think Dobson. I think he's missing um, at the end getting some kind of justice and you put oh my god he should come forward like where, where they're all in heaven and he should have, have a honey because uh, as they're talking about honey so much Head of, heaven's he full of he should be honeys. with Debbie yeah yeah, there you go. Give him Debbie. He's going. He's going out on a date with Debbie that night. Yeah, partner swap. Kind of and thing. Uh, but yeah, so that's but also where, where the hell's Judge? Hmm? You said yeah. it, but where the hell's Judge? Where's Judge? Where's Ray? It's ridiculous. Um, I would Thank change. You. I haven't thought this through properly, but I don't think so. Hang on, the final B needs to be something about Frank healing as a person. Let's not tie it to the romance because romance is too complicated for a film like this. So it needs to be about being respected by the town, cherished by the town and loved as a member of the community rather than ostracised and reviled as a con man. Mm. So the reason Deb sends him back is he's got a special task to do to protect the town from Johnny ever coming back or whatever. Insert some bullshit here. So then he gets 
to go back to do something that gives him standing and respect within the town, which will make him happy forever. And he can be with Lucy Linsky, whatever. But the the I don't know. The, you come out of that film going, oh, he got he got the girl, so he's all right. But it should be he got the respect of his peers, so he's all right. Yeah, there should be some awareness. Like maybe the whole town becomes aware of like Johnny Bartlett being this ghost and is aware that he has saved the day. Yes. And like that awareness, it's like they're aware, they A, are aware that he saved the day and they're aware ghosts exist and Frank can actually see them. So he's a hero of the town. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's it. And then we're done. Excellent. So are we ready for the verdict? It's time for the verdict. Let's do the verdict. It's so confusing. Whose job is it? Hey, who knows? Changes. It's not mine. It does. It It does. It's as fluid as the sweat crawling down my inner thigh right now so <laughs> let's do this the verdict right now the verdict Next. no Vicky oh my god <laughs> Jesus every week we just got there oh, no, it's right. have you done an ad yet <laughs> yes you want answers I think I'm entitled you want answers I want the truth Alex, you go first. Right, then, uh, obviously, it's uh, if you listen to both episodes this week, it's going to be fairly obvious which way I'm going. Uh, when this pairing was announced, I remember thinking this was going to be a lot closer than it turned out to be. I thought we had a real match on our hands here. In my opinion, my memories of one of these films was a lot better than the experience I had watching it this time. The Frighteners is packed with great ideas and looks amazing. It's just too muddled and convoluted in the tonal shifts that I liked the first time round because of how weird they made it. I found jarring on this rewatch, but I just don't like Frank Bannister as a character and I just don't think the rules are in place. Beetlejuice, on the other hand, Stone Cold Classic, which despite being nearly 10 years older than The Frighteners has aged so much better because of those in-camera effects. So my vote is obviously Beataljus. <laughs> Vicky? So I wasn't that taken with either film, if I'm honest. Um, so it is close in that regard. And I really wish The Frighteners was better, but I think it's very muddled, same word that you used, coincidentally. Mm. And it's not scary. And I think Beetlejuice is muddled and not scary, but you just go with it because of the strength of all the performances. And actually, at its heart, it's quite a basic story. It's just a home invasion story, and that's kind of it. So I'm still like, ugh, okay, I'm, I'm just not... I, I like Beetlejuice as a character... I do miss a little bit of a story engine in that film. But yeah, The Frighteners was just too frustrating. So it's Beetlejuice. Okay, Mm. Chris. Well, we have a winner. Oh, we do. Sorry. (laughs) We do have a winner. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, Despite its lack of story engine, Beetlejuice (laughs) is the winner. It's funny because I've got engine written down here. Um, You know, I like the fact that Frighteners has a plot. It has an engine that drives it. It has stakes. It has some substance there. I like the effects, unlike some of you people. I love the tonal shifts. Um, I love how it's this fun mainstream film that goes to some really dark places, but it's not as good as Beetlejuice. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even like Beetlejuice that much, but I think there's some magic there. It's the imagination. It's the originality. It's the Michael Keaton. It's the Tim Burton. There's just some magic there that is close for me as well, but... Beetlejuice wins it. Altruana dog. Beetlejuice <laughs> is our winner this week. Three for three. Full house commiserations to the Frighteners, but that's the way the cards have fallen on Clash Pub this week. Let's look ahead to next week. It is Victoria's Choices. The clue you gave us on Monday was... Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Which means the films we're doing are... The Truman Show and Free Guy. Woo! Fun. We're aware... 
Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Truman Show is just widely available, I've written, and Free Guys, Disney and Apple. Great stuff. You didn't think I knew. I did you? think you knew. That was me. <laughs> Why are you putting two fingers up at me? Yeah, uh, yeah I'm not. It's at him. Aimed at me. Yeah. Rude. Uh, all right, then. That is your homework for the weekend. We are doing the Truman Show on Monday and Free Guy on Thursday. Have a great weekend. In the meantime, do check us out on Twitter and Instagram and indeed TikTok. We are at ClashPod. You'll find videos for the show on Instagram and clues to each new episode on Twitter, both at ClashBot. Subscribe to us if you haven't already. Tell your friends about us. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Like I said, have a great weekend. Do your homework. Speak to you Monday. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. I told you we should have done Casper. We should have done Casper, I told you. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.